I think if you're job searching, just it's about being clear about what you're looking for and or, you know, kind of thinking about what does that recruiter want to see. So again, if you're working in HR, using that as an example, so in your, in, in your headline, I would go for HR manager, retail, fashion, e-commerce, if they're the areas that you're working in and you want to work in. I mean, that tells me everything. I'm, a, I'm loving that if I see that. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This is where we lift the curtain on the hiring process by talking to recruiters and hiring managers to help you better understand how hiring decisions get made. Today, I'm talking to Russell Ailes, who's the founder and director at Unrivaled, an international recruiting agency. Russell's been recruiting for almost 20 years and brings a wealth of experience to the show. He's also the first international guest we've had. So he brings an international perspective to how hiring gets done. And to be honest, it's not that different, which is really, really interesting that this is kind of a global process. We go deep into LinkedIn Recruiter from its first versions to how it's being used today and how it's fundamentally changed the hiring landscape. We also go deep into LinkedIn profiles and what you should use and how he uses LinkedIn Recruiter to find candidates. Therefore, these are the changes you should make to your profile so you get found. It was a really fantastic conversation and I'm super thankful that Russell got up real early to do it with me because he's in Australia. So it's a fun show and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This week, we are with Russell Ailes, who I've gotten the pleasure of getting to know on LinkedIn. But like many of these, it's oftentimes it's the first time I get to talk to somebody directly. So that's the cool thing about social media. And also, Russell's actually in Australia. So we're going to get a little bit of an international perspective on recruiting, and we're going to see how it's not all that different. But better to hear from Russell directly. So Russell, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, mate. Yeah, so I'm, I'm based over here in Australia. I'm actually from the UK, so uh, moved over here in 2019. So I've got a bit of recruitment experience across the UK, Australia, into Europe as well, and a li- little bit in the Far East also. But um, yeah, look, I've been working in recruitment since 2004, so, so it's a long time now. You wouldn't believe it with, with the wrinkles on the face, would you? But um, yeah, you know, I've, <laughs> I've recruited in-house agency over the past 19 years, um, mainly into retail, fashion, e-com businesses. But so, yeah, it's been a great ride so far, enjoying it and uh, really pleased to be speaking to you. Awesome. This is good because especially when folks have had recruiting experience for a while, they've seen the technology change or lack thereof, Uh, (laughs) um, but can kind of speak to how it's changing. So I'm excited to dive into this. Um, When we were prepping before, one of the things we immediately went to was LinkedIn Recruiter, right? It is, I'd say it's been probably the most impactful on hiring as a platform because you can search for people on all sorts of crazy facets. So I'd be curious as a recruiter in-house or agency, how you've seen that platform change over time and the impact it's had on your work. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, would you believe it? I, um, you know, when I started recruiting, it was before LinkedIn. So we had to actually headhunt, you know, we had to be creative, probably some of it, I was going to say unethical, not unethical, but I remember being trained to, um, we'd, we'd phone up a business. If we wanted to get hold of like a buyer from a certain business, we'd, we'd phone them up and pretend to be from an industry magazine and say, oh, we're from X magazine. Can we speak to um, David, the buyer on Homework, please? Uh, so you, you think of creative ways to try and get through to people. And obviously you'd, you'd have your, your kind of own internal database. And um, I was with quite a, quite a kind of small boutique 
fashion and, and retail recruiting business, but a well-established one. So, so we had that. So yeah, LinkedIn was, I remember people didn't really know how to, what LinkedIn was really about when it, when it first came out. Um, I know when I was working in agency, they didn't know how to take it at first, whether they owned the rights to almost our profile. They, they thought, well, no, you're employed by us. So your profile, you've got to delete it if you ever leave us. So I remember conversations like that. So it's a very kind of different platform back then, but it was a, it was a game changer, you know, it just it suddenly opened up this online online database of people you could find almost you know, any business yeah, you could find who worked there. And it kind of, um, you know, cha- I guess leveled the, the field at first for everyone, but then um, it really changed the way people recruited. And obviously that's, you know, the product is, um, has changed over time and the introduction of LinkedIn Recruiter has just made it so easy to find people. But with that ease has become... Um, it has come a little bit of, uh, you know, people get messaged a lot. So you've got to be a little bit different, a bit unique. You've got to be a bit, I guess, a bit smarter with how you search using these tools as well, because everyone has access to the same people, don't they? So yeah, it's been, um, you know, I think the biggest technological um, change has been probably most recently with AI, the the amount of tools now that are coming out that, you know, that is helping us as recruiters. Just uh, I keep talking to people about MetaView, which is uh, like an interview note taker, basically, and or an intake for uh, like if, if I'm speaking to a hiring manager, getting a brief. You can take the notes for that as well. And it's just a game changer. Does it word for word? You can you can sort of type in and say, oh, what did they say about, you know, about the product areas they, they looked after? It just brings up all of that information. So yeah, technology is getting getting great. But yeah, LinkedIn recruiter is um is probably the, the most important tool any recruiter will use at this moment in time anyway. So we'll take a little tangent because you brought something up that I'm interested in for Teal and more broadly. Um in sales, there's a software called Gong, where right sales calls are recorded. So in the sales, people can understand the efficacy. In interviewing, and this this for me, this is like a really fresh topic because I'm actively thinking about where I land and like what my position is because it's changing. I used to think that like unequivocally recording interviews was a bad idea. I was like, it's not fair. The power dynamic is off, right? The company can say, even if the company says like, hey, is it cool if we record? As a candidate, you don't want to like put off a bad signal. You're like, yeah, I, I guess, but like really maybe you don't want to, but you feel bad saying no. Um, but I don't know, like now I'm kind of thinking like, well, it actually helps us be better. I can watch and see how people interviewed. So in a world where we assume best intent, then I'm like, oh, it's a good thing, but that still doesn't solve like the discomfort for the candidate for me. So I'm kind of curious, like what are your thoughts on recording interviews and obviously there's an international perspective you know data privacy is it's like pretty strict in other parts of the world so yeah where do you land on recording interviews i think it's like any technology isn't it i think it's about what you're using it for you know when i use this this technology it's for me obviously i'm, I'm hiring i'm as a recruitment consultant i'm interviewing people for jobs that i'm working on for for my um you know for, for the hiring businesses so i think for me I I think it's important to explain what you're doing first, but for me, it's about being able to go back and find find the notes and find what I spoke about. Because there's so many times I'll be sitting there on a call and you're trying to concentrate, even on a phone call or Zoom call, it doesn't matter. You're trying to concentrate. You're trying to kind of be interested and curious about them. You want to, you want to be switched on and be speaking to them because they're going to be saying, oh, you're talking through their experience and answering your questions. How are you meant to make notes, either typing them into your laptop or writing them down? And so many times I'd write them down and wouldn't understand my language or they'd be crazy shorthand on, on my laptop. And for me, it just helps me relax because I, I just think I can go back over these notes. I can I can see the transcript. I don't record the the, the Zoom calls, but I, I get the transcripts. And then the um, the AI is, enables me to ask you questions 
um, you know, and it, and it had the questions I asked, the answer they gave. It gives a summarized version of that. It can be short or long. So for me, using it as a tool to be able to represent my candidates in the best possible way and not miss a detail is great. Um, you know, I think, yeah, it depends how businesses use it. I think if they want to use it and record it because they want to show a different hiring manager, look, it maybe adds an extra layer of pressure to the candidate. But, you know, interviews are pressurized anyway. It's almost like, you know, you've got to deal with a bit of pressure when you're interviewing. So, yeah, look, it's all about how businesses go about using it, how they talk to the candidates about it, and I guess giving them the the option. But like you say, given the option, are you, are you going to say no? Because it, candidates go through an interview process and they don't want to rock the apple cart, do they? So they're probably unlikely to say no, and it might put extra pressure on them. Yeah, look, you know, these things could happen. But for me as a recruiter, the tools are, the tools are fantastic. Do you think it'll be commonplace that just like default is at all... I mean, one, there's, so there's actually, there's two parts to this. I think, right, most interviews used to be in person. I think that there was this kind of like, oh, of course I need to meet the person, like in person. I'm thinking more of some professional positions, you know, maybe obviously like retail, things like that for sure in person. Um, but there, it felt like it was sort of like default in person. And I feel like in the post-COVID world, at least for like preliminary interviews, it's default virtual. Does that feel accurate to you or is it different? No, no, it's the same. And even in um, some of them, because what I do like retail store roles is maybe 30% of, of what I do. Um, but even some some businesses I work with, the initial stages are a video just to get them done quickly because a lot of it you can gauge, gauge from a first interview. But I think, look, it depends on the role, doesn't it? I think if the role is purely remote, you've got no reason to to see that person in person. I mean, if they're doing that role remotely. But if they're, if they're going to be in the office or it's a hybrid model, I think it's a no-brainer that you want to meet the person and vice versa. The candidate wants to meet the team, the, the person they're going to be reporting into, see the office. I mean, doing everything virtually can be convenient, but I don't think it replaces person-to-person, um, you know, kind of contact. I still think that's the best way to do it. And look, if I'm honest with you, as much as, look, we of course we take all bias out of an, an interview process or you try your best to or or you're at least conscious of it. You know, that's the whole thing about unconscious bias is, you don't realize you're doing it. I think if you consciously kind of think, okay, are there any biases here? And you try and address them in, in process, brilliant. Because there's always going to be little things here, here or there. But let's face it, I think the best way to build a relationship with, with somebody or build a rapport is going to be to meet them in person. And building a rapport goes a long way in, in an interview process if you're a candidate. Even over, vintage, even over video, I'd always say to my, my, um, you know, my, my candidates, act like it's in, in, in an in-person interview you know use your body language active listening you know look at you know like we're doing obviously people are listening to this but we're, we're on video you know you, you're interested you're looking at the person look at the camera don't look at like i'm looking at the screen here i'm looking at the camera you know look at the camera mm-hmm. um use your body language because these little things build a rapport with the interview and as much as you know you're trying to take that that kind of thing out of a process because it needs to be purely about the skill we're, we're human beings you know if you can build a rapport with somebody you're going to be a little bit more engaged in what they're saying and you're going to build that relationship and it's going to help you as a candidate. So I think in person is, is always going to be the best way to do it if you have a choice. I'd be curious to see as we develop more dependencies on these tools, like recording interviews, that's a trickier interview to record. I feel like an in-person interview versus like Zoom is easy. You just <laughs> yeah. like flip a switch. Just imagine like, a, okay, a, cool, bit, a big, video, a big video camera in the corner. It'd be like you're being interrogated by the FBI or something, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I kind of wonder is like as those technologies become more um, standard and kind of like depended on, right? So okay, part of our process is the transcription and we did a sentiment analysis on the text and we looked for it. It's like, well, 
okay, well, now we're almost going to like, we want a virtual because it's so easy. Or we're going to have like an interview room. I don't know. It's kind of like I hadn't thought about, like I sort of default default virtual. We're 100% remote. I don't think I've interviewed a single person that worked for Teal in person. Um, and so I just have to remind myself, there's still a lot of companies that do in-person interviews. So what? how do some of these technologies now adapt to, you know, when we went from like a pure virtual world, like sort of in the heart of COVID, heat of COVID, to now like back to normal, how do some of these technologies adapt to in the, the sort of more traditional ways of, of interviewing? Yeah, look, I think I'm always going to be focused on the industries I recruit for. And I think with the industries I, I work in, in the retail and fashion industries, it's about that people connection, the product connection and teams collaborating. So there's always going to be, um, you know, an element of, of, of in office, I think, for most businesses. Um, look, there's different ways around, isn't there? It'd be, it'd, there'd be a case, I'm sure, that these products will have, you know, you just put your phone on the table and it records it. For me, it's not about recording the yeah. interview, going back, watching the interview. Well, what did they do there? Well, they do, you know, it's not about their body, like watching somebody back. It's about, for me, as an interviewer, it's a tool. So again, I don't have to sit in that interview and write yeah. notes. I remember, you know, in old roles, literally being like a clipboard or, um, cause we'd purposely take a clipboard and pen in, say a clipboard, a pad, you know, it, um, because yeah. we didn't want to sit there tapping away on a laptop whilst we're interviewing because it'd, off, it'd put the candidate yeah. off. And so you'd sort of scribble in these notes. And honestly, like, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I remember at some points being in an in, interview and kind of almost sort of like doodling because I was like just sitting there kind of, I was trying to listen, but just getting distracted. So if I could get a tool that I could just, you know, whack my phone down on the table, know that it's transcribing. So every single question I'm asking is picking up the answers to it. And putting that, then packaging that together in, in a succinct way, I can delve deeper into it if I want. I can see the transcription. And that's brilliant because I'm actually listening to the person who who speak. I'm actually thinking yeah. about, okay, that's great. What can I ask next that's going to bring out this or that? Rather than just focusing on writing notes. I mean, look, I, I should be a, um, you know, I think uh, many of you are going to have to um, start giving me money for promoting their product soon. But um, I, 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 I think <laughs> look, there's, there's lots of products, products that do it. Um, but I just think technology like that is just such a, it's, it's weird. You, you probably know Hung Lee, don't you? The English guy. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was I, recruiting. Brain yeah, exactly. Uh, and I commented on his post yesterday because he was talking about this product. And, um, you know, I, I just I commented on that, just kind of saying, and I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you just think, how did I get by before I used this product? I just don't get it. You know, it's just made, it's made my life yeah. so much easier. Um, and it's not kind of, don't get me wrong, the technology behind it is great, but the concept is not. It's not a, a crazy concept. You think, how did they think of that? No, it's, it's a very for simple sure. concept, but it's, it's executed really well. So, yeah, look, I think to come back to the point, for me, it's about it's about making the recruiter's life easier. And also by doing that, you're, you're helping the candidate by ensuring that recruiter is switched on, engaged in that conversation, really listening. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm landing. It's just like, you know what? This actually is a good thing. It's, it's how you use it, like a tool on its own. That, you know, it's, it's how you use it. Um, and I think with like the right communication, so I've kind of changed it. I've done like a 180. I was like, I used to just be like, absolutely not. And I'm like, wait a second. I think that this can actually result in a better hiring process. To give another shout out to a company I care about, it's called Bright Hire. Um, similar, really, really good team. Good friends with Ben. Um, all right. Well, that was, thanks for the, entertaining the tangent. I was kind of just, I've been sort of like working through my thoughts on that one. So anytime I can get an audience to talk about that, I do it. Going back to LinkedIn. So... How you, I loved your story about how you sourced. It's like going, like making a call to a company because that's ultimately what LinkedIn's addressing for recruiters, right? And so we're talking about how to find people. It's really, really hard to find folks. And 
it's why LinkedIn Recruiter is so successful and I think powers the bulk of LinkedIn, the company's revenue. Um, you're talking about like tens of thousands of dollars potentially, if, if, you know, for this software. Um, how have you seen that particular tool, LinkedIn Recruiter, change over time? That's a good question. I, I don't remember because I don't remember how different it was because it's been one of those things that I think has just gradually changed over time. Um, a lot of the search fields, I don't think, have really changed. They've tried to introduce these kind of skills searching, um, and you can now search people that have done one of those skills assessments. But again, from my experience and other recruiters I speak to, is it something you're going to use? No, unfortunately, you're not because um, there's not enough people to do it. You don't really know what these skills assessments mm. are, are about. Could it be used? I was actually chatting to um, you know, a group, but mainly US recruiters, actually, who, who I speak to. You'll, you'll know a lot of them. Um, and we're kind of sort of, you know, it might be something that you use if you're recruiting a very kind of basic role where you actually need somebody who's used Excel, let's say, and you and you need you need mm -hmm. a bit of reassurance that they've used Excel and they, you know, to to a certain level rather than just looking at a resume and it's like Excel intermediate or advisor is one of those little star systems people rate themselves out of. <laughs> um, but again, I don't think there's enough people that use it to make it worthwhile. Maybe in the future, I'm not sure. But look, I think essentially LinkedIn recruits are. Yeah, it's been a game changer. It's made recruit, you know, it's given recruiters the ability to find almost almost everyone, almost everyone in the world. You know, it's unbelievable. But with that has come, you know, it's made it a bit too easy in the sense of anyone can do it. You know, if I give somebody a link to recruiter license, they could do a very simple search, find people and, and message them. So good candidates or candidates that are open to work are likely for a lot of positions receiving quite a few messages. It becomes a bit like white noise. So then, you know, from a recruiter's perspective, you think, well, how do I now stand out in this kind of busy, you know, this arena of people getting message after message after message, you know, especially in some areas like, you know, sort of tech, I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be people that are getting lots of messages about roles. So yeah, you know, it's when things become easy, it becomes a bit diluted and it, and it becomes, um, you know, you, you've got to find different ways to stand out. But from, look, from a candidate's perspective, again, it's, it's such a great tool to be found if you use in the right way you know you're not going to be found if your linkedin profile sucks you're not going to be found if your linkedin profile is not talking about your experience in the right way especially in a tone that's kind of leaning towards the role that you want much like your resume so you know it's only as good as the info you know it's, it's a database essentially so it's only as good as the information that the people are putting in the other end one feature that i don't i don't know how new or old it is obviously highly contested but is being able to filter by open to work I mean, that's, that hasn't been there from the beginning, right? Was yeah, that true. like a, did they surface that during COVID? Was that like a four years ago, they added this ability and then it became a filter? Yeah, it must've been. I tell you, it's, it's an absolute game changer. I mean, anybody who says not to put the open to work on is, is an absolute moron. Um, you know, look, the green banner is, is personal choice. I think it's good in the, and, and right. I think it's good in the sense of, now look, I don't like it personally because I, um, <laughs> I'm very particular about my profile. So I, I like to have a nice picture, a nice banner and, and everything to look great. And I think I actually think the green banner from, from an aesthetic it doesn't look good. Oh, yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> even, even the hiring one, I, I use the hiring one, but I'm like, mm, but you know, it's, it's almost brand colors for me. So that's, that's okay. I can get past that. So that, yeah. so yeah, I'm not saying don't use a green banner. I'm just saying, you know, my, my very stupid mind thinks, well, it doesn't really look good with my profile photo. But it's good if you're active on LinkedIn and, um, you know, not everyone's got a LinkedIn recruiter account. It's very visible and easy to see that person's open to um, opportunities. But yeah, as that little tab you can you can put on, that I can then filter search results by, I always filter first by open to work. Always. Why would you not 
Why would you not contact somebody who you know is open to a conversation, whether or not they're interested in the company that you're representing or the company that you're working for or that type of position? It's absolutely brilliant. And actually what they've just done recently, which is even better. So, so yeah, I could do a search for, let's say a finance manager, because that transcends in industry. Everyone knows what a finance manager is. So I could do a search for a finance manager in a certain geographical location and so on. I could use some other search terms. And then first thing I'll do is filter it by open to work. It might say, okay, in this location, there's 234 people that are open to work. So I'd then click on that. Um, so yeah, that, that's, I would always go there first. I wouldn't use it to, I wouldn't go there. F I wouldn't just look at open to work people. If the people in open to work were not, um, suitable, I'd of course open that up to people not open to work, but I'd always go there first. But my frustration was always when you search on a job title, it gives you the option to search current, past or current or past. So I would always search, I'm looking for a finance manager. I, I, I'd always think, well, I'm looking for somebody who's currently a finance manager because if I put current or past, then it's going to bring up finance directors and you know heads of finance because they used to be a finance manager. So you'd do that, but what you would what you couldn't do before is so when somebody is puts on their open to work tab, they can list the positions they're interested in, but you could never search by that. You could only search by the job titles they have actually done or been. But now they've changed it, so you can search by you can put in a job title, search people that are currently doing it, have done it before, have done it both, or are looking for these positions. And again, that's for, that for me has been a game changer, especially for, so for those proper career professionals where maybe they work in finance or buying or planning or, or that, it's, it's never been too much of an issue. But when I've recruited for store positions where you can easily get an assistant store manager or store manager, that I'd say half of the people that I'd bring up on a shortlist were actually looking for something else. They're looking to maybe break into marketing or break into head office in a buying role. Or something like that. So, but you'd never really know that um, without hovering over their open to work. You could never search by it. So it's very time consuming. But now I can search for people that are looking for store manager roles or assistant store manager roles. So that's a really good one because you could never search on that before. So I think that's a really important job search tip. I think that there was always this, I always thought it was just kind of like nice to have. I thought maybe it was being used when you say open to work and you put what kinds of positions. Now, especially if you're career pivoting or you're trying to like ascend and get a job title you didn't have before, that seems like a, you, at, and I think you can put like four or yeah. five, that feels like you have to do well, that. Well, if you're trying to career pivot before, you were never going to get found. Because again, if I was a finance manager looking to pivot into HR, then you won't come up and search it because when I'm searching for an HR manager, I'm not searching for finance managers. But now there's a chance you might come up if I'm selecting it by people that are open to work and looking for HR manager jobs and you're a finance manager looking for HR jobs, you're going to come up probably low in the list because it's going to take lots of things into um, consideration. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure if I'm searching for uh, an HR manager and I've got an HR manager who's looking for an HR manager role, they're going to come up before a finance manager who's looking for an HR manager role. It's a no-brainer that they're going to come up first, but at least you're going to be on that list. So it's a really important filter that I'm very surprised. And I've always said to people that I don't understand why you can't filter by, you know, people looking for that role rather than people doing that role. If we're giving people the option to say, these are roles I'm looking for, it's crazy that you couldn't search for the roles they're looking for. Because I could bring up a short list of people and half of them are not actually looking for the role that they're, they're still currently doing, depending on what they're doing. Um, so yeah, that's been a good new um, change. I've always talked about that as like one of the paradoxes of job search is companies want to hire you for what you did, but you want to do something new. And so there's this like inherent misalignment, right? Because companies want to hire you for what you did. And it's like, I, I want to get promoted. 
And so it's this funny thing, like if companies, not always, this isn't universally true, but right, like in a perfect world, the least risky thing is hiring someone who's done the exact same job before. But for like the candidate, that's a lateral move. But unfortunately, that's, I don't know if that's just something you brought up to just do in recruitment. You know, I definitely have been. And, and it's, you know, when I started off years ago, it's always been a case that you're looking for, you know, if I'm looking for a buyer for this retailer, they normally want someone who's already doing that buyer role from one of their competitors. Now, some different roles that changes, but essentially it's still the same because they want, they want that kind of, they want that knowledge almost. They want to know that this person, you know, on paper, it's very hard to tell how good somebody is. So how do you minimize that risk? Well, you, you, if you'd find somebody that's done a similar job in a similar sort of business, you're minimizing that risk. So you think, okay, this person's probably worth interviewing. Now, you're not making hiring decisions off of that just because that person has worked for that business. That's getting them the interview. So you're still going to find out certain things in the interview and you're going to question certain things and find out what you need to find out. But it's getting you the interview, isn't it? And this, um, yeah, but it's such an interesting one because I, you're not going to look for somebody who has not worked in that industry or not worked in that role there's all you've got to you know you've, you've got to tick most of those boxes and sometimes you can get away with only ticking seven you know six or seven of those boxes but it depends how competitive the market is there's lots of people looking that tick all of the boxes then you're not going to get the opportunity to interview if it's a very difficult role so for example i'm working in a difficult role at the moment which is a, a performance marketing manager role for a business and mm. yeah they want somebody from retail fashion ideally women's wear somebody's done e-commerce it's a very difficult role to recruit for. So the thing, you know, things suddenly change and you look at those and you think, well, they don't have to have done this or that or that. So it opens it up a little bit. So it, it will often depend on the role. But I think, um, yeah, look, I think it's, if you're getting somebody with like-for-like experiences, it's always going to be a no-brainer to, to speak to them, really. Yeah, it's just this kind of like funny incompatibility in the market, right? In this kind of like two-sided market of like candidates and companies. And so, you know, look, and it's, evolving and it's happening but um it's yeah it's just like it was an observation before doing teal i just i was not really aware of and now it's like oh yeah of course like if i extend it to other things if i'm going to go to a doctor say i broke my thumb right like i want to go to a doctor who's like an expert at like 40 something dudes who focuses on thumbs and then that's like i want someone who's dealt with that exact problem before i don't want to go to a foot doctor who's looking to break in to the hand fixing business. That's, that's, a great, that's a great analogy. That is a great analogy. Um, but look, it's always going to be easier. It's very hard to get a promotion when you're moving job. It's very hard to, to go from a finance manager to a head of finance unless you're joining a smaller business or something's always got to give. It's always easier to get a promotion. If you're really wanting to move, you know, it's always easier to get a promotion within your current business and then move. So if I want to be a head of finance, you know, try and get that promotion within the business you're in and then, and then look to move. Because if you're a finance manager look, applying for head of finance jobs for similar sized businesses doing a similar thing, then that's going to be difficult because they're taking almost a leap of faith to give you, you know, not only bring in it, someone externally in, but then somebody who's not operated at that level before. But if you, if, if you apply to a smaller company ahead of finance, you're more likely to get it. Or if you get a promotion first and then move sideways, then that's going to make things a lot easier. So bringing it back to LinkedIn. So you, when you start a new search, you get a new assignment from a client or, you know, in-house customer and you fire up LinkedIn recruiter is job title. One of the first sort of filters you put on. Oh yeah. Always, you know, so when, when you, um, I'm just trying to picture it now. So you're looking down the left-hand side where you got your search criteria. 
Yeah, look, I think it's always the one at the, the top anyway. So yeah, look, job title is the most important thing, isn't it? For you know, for most roles, job title is going to be most important. And what link? You know, I think you've also got to bear in mind as well. LinkedIn tries to put you in a in in a box in a bucket. So when I start to type in finance manager, it will then predict what I'm going to type, and it it will have its own set job titles. So I might put in finance manager, but I might call it. They might call it. Um, uh, that's probably a bad example. So I, let's use HR. So I might put in HR manager. They actually call it human resources manager. They won't use the acronym HR. So then as a recruit, you think, okay, I'll go for that. But then you might freehand in HR manager as well. So my first bit of advice is that if I'm a candidate putting in my job title on LinkedIn, probably it's best to go for the one. And again, I think if you put your, if you go to type it in, in LinkedIn as a candidate, I think it then comes up with that same predictive test, I do believe, uh, text. Um, go with what LinkedIn wants to call you where possible. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's always mm-hmm. going to help because if it's trying to encourage recruiters to search by their set job titles, then they're probably more likely to, aren't they? Um, but yeah, job title is the first one you always go to and you'd, you'd play around for it. So if I'm looking for an HR manager, I'd probably go HR manager, senior HR manager, HR advisor, HR business partner. There'd be, you know, I'd go the sort of satellite terms around them as well. Yeah. So given there is no like universal standard for job titles and some companies get cute and do all sorts of funky permutations of job titles, right? Like maybe I'm a people manager instead of HR manager. Well, exactly. Especially in HR, you've got people in culture. You've even got very sort of minute specialisms within that. It might be, a, you know, DAI, might be, um, you know, le- learning and development, training. There's loads of different things that could come under an HR manager or people in culture manager or people manager or yeah, all of that. So when you're looking, I mean, do you... Like, how worried are you about, like, the exact accuracy of the title? And kind of what I'm getting at, like, the question behind the question is some people feel like they have to use exact, like, oh, they're going to do a reference check and they're going to see that the title was HR manager, but I put people manager. Like, my general advice to people is, like, use the most normative version of the title, but it's more important to hear from a recruiter like you. Like, does that concern you or, like, like, I get it. Whether you put people manager, culture manager, I get it. You are an HR manager. Oh yeah, it, it doesn't bother me at all, and I think um, I've, you know, as much as I'm a recruiter, I've also done a bit of um, kind of career and job search coaching before, and that's always what I tell people I work with is you just want to make your job title the one that best represents what you do, but you know, externally, because if you're again, if you're a buyer, but your job title might be product manager, but that's not really what other people call mm-hmm. in other businesses. So you want you want to call it what's most um, widely used, or you know, if you're looking at jobs and, and you realize that, okay, I'm, I'm a product manager, but it seems like all the jobs externally that I'm looking for are, are buyers or, or product developers or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. then do change it. Look, I think, again, there's no right or wrong, but it's, it's a bit of a spectrum where, yeah, it does become a point where you change it a bit too much, where you maybe have to then give a bit of context and put in brackets what your actual job title is. So it doesn't look like you're, um, you know, you're trying to bend the truth, you know, have that conversation. Yeah. If it gets to references, just have the conversation then. Just say, you know, oh, by the way, I put Byron on my CV. What you actually find is when you get the references, they're going to say product developer just because that's what we call it internally. If somebody said that to me, it wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me at all. So one that's a little less clear, because I, I think most would agree with you on that one. What about like the modifier? So at my company, you know, I have eight plus years of experience and I'm managing people, but for whatever reason, they don't call it senior. I'm just product manager, but other companies and at most companies that I'd apply to and what I want to be found for is senior product manager. And sort of objectively, when you look at my JD and you see what I'm doing and my responsibilities, 
most people would call a senior product manager, but this company doesn't. What do I do? That's a really good one. Personally, I would say don't put senior product manager on your resume or on your LinkedIn, because I think that's misleading. I think you're trying to, mm. um, you know, if you're coming, that's my personal view. What I would do yeah. if I felt strongly that I am doing, uh, you know, most other companies would call me a senior, then I would put in brackets. I'd say product manager in brackets, I'd say mm. senior product manager, or even, again, if you're talking, I'd do that on LinkedIn just because you want to come up in that keyword search for, for that senior and you want, you want it to be visible there as well. On a resume, what I might do is put product manager. And I always encourage people to have that, that little kind of, you know, two, three liner underneath to job title company, dates work. They just give the context to the business. You know, what does this business do? Who do they serve? Where did you mm-hmm. sit within this business? I, I'd put product manager and then I'd start off saying, you know, acting as a senior product manager or, you know, or something like that. Look, you know, that's just come off the top of my head, but I would probably address it in there or again, put it in brackets. So yeah, I think you've just got to, like, you've got to do what feels, feels right. In some circumstances, if you're changing your job title for something that's the same level, but just changing terminology, that feels okay to me because mm-hmm. you know, you're just trying to help somebody understand. That's what you're trying to do on a resume or your LinkedIn profile is helping the reader understand what you do. And what's the best way for somebody to understand what you do is by firstly, giving them a job title they're looking for and understand. But I think when you're changing it from, you know, manager to senior manager, I think you need to make it clear that you're kind of what your actual job title is, but you can refer to it somewhere else that you're operating more at a senior level. So I'd probably put it in brackets. It's a funny nuance. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's confusing for people and they don't know what to do. And they hear it from 10 different people with 10 different opinions. So I'm glad that was really crisp advice. Um, all right. So after job title, so you, you do a search for HR manager and you got 5,000 people open to work. Like what's the next filter you tip? I'm, I'm assuming 5,000 is kind of a lot. So like what would, if you wanted to get it down some, what would be the next filter you'd use? Yeah, this is probably where we get a bit nuanced. So I would search location for sure. Even if the role is, unless it's a purely, you know, remote role where somebody can work anywhere in the country, I would go location. And again, with the location tab, now you can search people that are in Sydney or want to work in Sydney, but that's a side point. So that's good. Um, yeah, so I'd still go location because that's one of the best ways to narrow it down. So definitely location, even if it's a hybrid role or, you know, mostly remote, they're going to want somebody who can get to the office maybe a bit more comfortably. So they need to be around that Sydney area. Um, and then look, this is where it gets interesting because if it's a role that transcends industry. So HR manager, finance manager, what, what you'd call kind of more support functions within a business. That's when you probably want somebody with industry experience or, or similar industry experience. So for a retailer, it might be retail fashion, could even be hospitality, you know, that kind of similar kind of industry. So I might search industry. The problem now with industry on LinkedIn, when you self-select industry as a candidate, as a person. Now, if I work in HR in retail, what's my industry? Is it staffing right. and recruitment? Is it human resources? Is it retail? Is it fashion and apparel? And I can only select one. So I try to avoid industry because I know it's not going to bring up everyone who's relevant. So I would probably keyword search and play about with keywords. So I'd go you know, play around a retail, fashion, e-commerce, hospitality, might do all of them, some of them, both, this all. Or, so I do a bit of a Boolean. I might even consider skills because now if you search for skills in LinkedIn, it searches that word in the skills section or anywhere else on the profile as well. So I'm kind of getting a double whammy. So I'm getting, it's like a keyword search, but it's focusing on skills. Because then my belief is if somebody's put retail as a skill or fashion as a skill, they have worked or do work in that area. 
they've not just mentioned it because they might work for a consultancy that partners with some retail clients that have got the word retail in their profile. If you've purposefully put your put retail or fashion in your skills, then I think that's meaningful a bit more so than, than a keyword search. But for me, it does both. It searches both. Um, so yeah, for those roles that transcend industry, I would search industries. I'd go industry specific. I'd try and keyword search. That's an industry. Now, if it was a role that was specific to the industry, so let's say you know maybe a buyer is pretty specific to retail, um, I would then I would search mm-hmm. product because if I'm searching for a women's wear buyer, I'd probably want somebody who's bought women's wear because some of the design process is going to be different. The way the product is put together, you know, especially if you're buying dresses compared to you know men's wear buying t-shirts, there's going to be differences, and you're more likely to find somebody who's got that like for like experience that you are probably looking for. So I might search product area. Again, that would be in the keyword searching. Or I might put it in a job title. You know, I might just try and freehand a job title by a women's wear because somebody might have women's wear in their job title. So there's all these little things you, you might try. And um, what I would say as we're on keywords is um, a little tip that I was told by uh, LinkedIn when I was speaking to my account managers. When you are searching for keywords, one of the most powerful places it pulls the keyword from is always the job title. So mm. if there are keywords that are very relevant to your job title, try and get them into your job title. So for example, if you're a buyer, rather than just saying you're a buyer for, let me give you an American example, for Macy's, rather than saying you're a buyer, say you're you know buyer for women's wear or buyer for beauty, you know, for Macy's. Because then, then if I'm searching for a buyer and putting the keywords beauty, you're more likely to come up towards the top because I guess the thinking is, if you're putting this keyword in a job title, you must be relevant to this keyword because who would put this keyword in a job title? You like who would put beauty in a job title if they had nothing to do with beauty? But the word beauty could come up, you know, in your experience somewhere. But that doesn't mean you, you necessarily work in beauty. You could be talking about the departments that you work closely with. You might work closely with beauty and cosmetics and this and this. So it's probably a bit less relevant. So if there's a very important keyword that you think you're going to get found on that's really relevant to what you do, if you can get it into your job title, that will probably help. That's a really great insight. Yeah, because there's like a weight to where it's like, it's not just equally weighted. If a word shows up in the job title, it's got more punch in the algorithm than if it does in an endorsement. Yeah, and I think frequency um, dictates it a little bit. But look, what I've always said, again, when I, when I did more of the career coaching, I'd always say to people, I can't tell you the difference between the person that comes up first on the list when I search compared to the person maybe bottom of the third or fourth page. But what I can tell you is that if you're coming up on the first four pages, you're going to be seen. So as long as you're coming up on page one yeah. to five, within reason, 25 results a page, you're going to be seen. I think once you get past page five, look, and this is very depends on the search. You know, some people go to page 15 because it's really of hard. Course. But if it's an easier role to find people for, you might only need to go to page five. So as a rule of thumb, you know, I don't think you can really tell the difference between someone coming up on page one, two, or three. But as long as you are coming up on page one, two, or three, because you're doing these things, you're going to be seen. You, you don't need to come up first in the list. You know, they, it really doesn't matter. It's about coming up in those first few pages. Like, it's not quite like a Google search, you know, where you're probably just looking at those top five or six results. You know, I think as long as you're coming up in page one, two, three, four, five, within reason, you're going to be visible to that recruiter. Yeah, I think that's an important concept. And I kind of want to illustrate it. We can use Google as a, yeah, I like to try to put these things, give my little sort of broken thumb example, in more like the consumer perspective, right? Because job searching is so emotional. And I'm like, why do they do that? Why do, so let's kind of, 
flip it, right? If you do a Google search and say, we're buying, you know, I'm looking for doctors to fix my hand, right? And, or, or anything that you're doing on Google, like most people know this. And also as someone being a practitioner of SEO, search engine optimization, it is crazy the rate at which it drops. So like the, the stats on Google are the first result is 50% higher than the second result, like on the same page. So if you're number two, by the time you're number three, you're getting like 10% of the clicks. And so it's not just being caught in the net, it's where you fall on the list. And this is where things like optimizing your LinkedIn profile are really important because the higher you are on the list, the higher the likelihood, right? If you're on page one, pretty good chance. I don't think people are as finicky as they are using Google searches. But I think this point you're making is really, really important. So you, you would say like, typically for you, also super personal, different by recruiter, kind of like five pages is generally sort of like, you're like, okay, cool. Let me do a new search and get a new five pages. Yeah, I think that wouldn't be unfair to say. Um, and look, I don't know if it's just me, but as a human, as a concentration span as well, once I get past page five, I tend to start, you tend to start seeing more, less relevant results. So you switch off a little bit because you're sort yeah. of scrolling a bit fast. You're like, mm, don't, maybe I'll click that one, put them onto my short list. So yeah, I think the first five pages is a good rule of thumb. I think another thing to remember as well. So it's one thing coming up in those search results and being visible. But secondly, it's about understanding what information do I see as a recruiter once I'm now looking at these results? Because I don't see your full profile unless I click into you. I'm not really going to click into each person. Um, what I'm going to do, so when I'm initially putting this list together, I'm essentially creating a long short list of candidates I want to look at further. So I'm going to tick, you know, that one, that one, mm, no, that one, that one, that one, and then move them into my project or onto my, um, what do they call it? I think it yeah, is. Projects, it, and they call them um, projects. Now I'm trying to think is, anyway, it doesn't matter. So I'm moving on to that, to that next stage of looking at them in a bit more detail. But what I do see is obviously the, your profile photo, your name, your headline, and then Probably, I think your last two job titles, maybe three, it does change. Um, yeah. So again, you know, the more information you can put into a job title or just ensuring those job titles are what I want to see will help you. Um, so maybe putting context into those job titles will help. But then also just, you know, that headline, you know, just don't think your headline is just something um, mm -hmm. that holds no relevance. And I'm, look, I'm talking when you're looking for a job. If you're not looking for a job, call yourself what you want and do what you want and you know, yeah, you want in your headline, yeah. you know, call yourself a ninja or guru or, you know, or whatever it may be. Um, but I think if you're job searching, just it's about being clear about what you're looking for and, or, you know, kind of thinking about what does that recruiter want to see. So again, if you're working in HR, using that as an example, so in, your, in, in your headline, I would go for HR manager, retail, fashion, e-commerce, if they're the areas that you're working in and you want to work in. I mean, that tells me everything. I'm, a, I'm loving that if I see that. And the same with the job ties, we see HR manager and you've worked for a retailer, then brilliant. Um, again, if you're an HR manager and you're working for maybe more of an obscure company that somebody wouldn't realize is a retailer, you might want to put HR manager, you know, uh, you know, fashion, HR manager, retail, you know, just put that in. Why not, you know, help yeah. the keyword search, help me see that you're working in retail or fashion because yeah. like the finance, the finance example, if that's the industry you want to stay in, then, then great. You might want to do the opposite sometimes. You might want to even neutralize it by, you might not want to work in fashion and retail anymore. So you might just right, want to so take it out so you don't get found for it. Yeah, maybe. But you might, you might think, okay, I want to work in HR, but I want to work more on transformation projects, or I want to work more in learning and development or, um, you know, diversity and inclusion. So put that on your headline. Um, you know, especially if you've got experience in it. Now, 
again, you get these gray areas now. If you haven't worked in training and development, should you put you know HR manager training and development on your headline? Do what you want. It's not a legal document, but there's no point fooling somebody into it. And if you've done, <laughs> right. you know, if you if you've covered it a little bit, then you know, go for it. Or you could even put if you're conscious about not wanting to fib a little bit too much. Um, for American listeners, fib means to lie. I don't know if that's an American term or not. Is an English? Term. Yeah, we've got we've got fib. It's not, you know, but lie. Yeah, <laughs> you fib. Yeah, fib. Um, you know, you could, you could just put HR manager. You know, looking to break into training, learning, and development. So you get you're hitting those keywords, but you're making it you know making it clear you're wanting to move in there, and you're also pretty much saying that you haven't worked in that too much. So there's ways around it. Um, I forgot the original point, but yeah, look. <laughs> well, it's the ranking and what comes up and how you get found. I do want to so using Google as an example is not great if you know since this is audio and I want to give the folks a visual. It's much more like an Amazon search. But you know when you do a search on Amazon, and then say I'm looking for a camera. Then it shows me all the brands of the cameras. It shows me the lenses, the body sizes, budget range. Those are called facets in like search. That's a faceted search. And that's what LinkedIn recruiter is like. And all these things then become facets. School you oh. went to, year of graduation. And that's all, you know, to, to Russell's point, that's all the like the data that recruiters can search on in LinkedIn recruiter, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and look, the, main, the main ones are always going to be just to reiterate, you know, I think for most people, again, you're going to hear somebody listening to this who says, no, I use this, I use that. Look, job title, location, keywords, probably the most used, um, you know, year of graduation. And that's, I, I still don't understand why it's one of the main filters on the left-hand side. I just assume I've got some very big clients that do a humongous amount of graduate recruitment where they care about the the college or university they've come from and when they've graduated. But for most so people, I, I've used it as a proxy for experience. It's not a hundred percent. But like if I'm looking for, like I was recently looking for a front-end engineering manager. Now, not every, you know, it was more people that are going to boot camps, more people that are self-taught, amazing. But like just to like filter down the pool a little bit, I said, okay, they graduated at least six years ago. Right? I mean, that would kind of mean they've got like six plus years of experience doing software engineering. Because then there's that other thing that's like senior associate, but I don't really trust that one because I feel like it's defining it on its own. Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah. Well, even when you put on a job advert, it asks you to select that level as well. And it's, it's yeah, that's difficult. And look, maybe the graduation dates thing is more of an American thing, because I do think you guys care a lot more about mm. college and yep. who went to college, how long out of college somebody is. The UK and Australia, you know, we, we don't really care. You know, I mean, I think I lied about university the first five, six years of my career because I, I went there for two years and dropped out and I just used to put the dates on there. <laughs> I kind of kept it a little bit obscure. So, you know, I didn't say I graduated with like a 2-1 or a first or anything, but I just put, oh yeah, I attended university these dates. And if I got asked about it, you know, but the world, well, say no, I'd never get asked about it. But you even see it now, like you do see it over here and in the UK, you'll see adverts saying, I'm oh, looking for like, you know, this senior buyer with 10 years worth of experience. Um, you know, who's got a degree. You're like, why do you need a degree with 10 years of experience? It's almost like you haven't changed your job description, you know, from 2007. Um, and yeah, it, it's bizarre, but I, yeah, like I don't, I'm quite a firm believer and it's very difficult, but I'm, I'm quite a firm believer of, I do think job descriptions and, and adverts should try and focus more around what those years of experience have, would have taught somebody. Um, rather than saying we want somebody with five years experience. But, you know, I, I do see the need for it because it, on one hand, you know, it's, it's a kind of rule of thumb, isn't it? It gives you a kind of benchmark of this person would probably have five years worth of experience. I think 
wording it like that is okay. I think to say you must have five plus years of experience, it's like, okay, so what about if I've got four and a half years of experience, yeah. but I'm actually smashing everything you're asking for, I'm doing that and I'm going to be better than everyone else. So, you, you know, I'm not going to apply now. You probably would apply, wouldn't you? But I'm just saying you could rule people out. So I think it's probably about how you phrase it. Yeah. And, and I mean, and so speaking to the US, it's a trend that's going, in my opinion, in the right direction. You've got very big companies saying they're kind of removing educational requirements or like, you know, degree requirements. It's a really good thing because I think there's lots of ways to gain skills and the degree isn't an automatic. And it's also filled with bias and all sorts of stuff. So it's a good thing. I agree. Yeah. It's kind of a proxy, right? It's like the 10,000 hours thing. So like, if you've done it for five years, I can kind of assume. I just think we've got to sit somewhere in the middle, haven't we? I think the problem is, is that you get people on this yeah. side that you think degrees are really important. People on the other side, like most things, who you think, um, you know, they're not. But let's sit somewhere in the middle. Look, you know, somebody's gone to university or college and put in a lot of bloody hard work and learned a lot and learned a lot of life skills and and practical skills as well in, in that specialism. So then, you know, let's not kind of just get rid of them if that is a requirement and just question why why you think it's a requirement so for example when i when i used to recruit um buying assistants and merchandise assistants back in the uk we'd always look for people because it's a really people really wanted to get into it especially buying so this was like the first run on the ladder in most businesses that we would recruit for and to try and filter down we would say somebody with a degree or equivalent or qualification in buying and merchandising because you could do, do uh, degrees in buying and merchandising or go to London College of Fashion and do like a, a year or two year course on that. So I think that's specific. We're asking for that because you know that these people are going to have a certain grounding knowledge and fundamental understanding of that role. Because a lot of the issues you get at entry-level recruitment is, does that person actually know what they want to do? Do they actually know what this role is? You know, And like, yeah, you, you can take a chance on somebody or see something in someone or, or something like that. But the end of the day, you need to narrow down this talent pool when there's a lot of talent one in a role. So that would be one thing you go for. But then what I don't understand is when once you get five years into your careers, people start still asking for degrees, but and even not even caring what that degree is in, it's just like must have a college degree. Well, why? Be specific. If you want someone who's got a college degree in economics or something because this is a, of a finance role or whatever it might be, that's great. So look, I think there's middle ground. I think Yes, ask for it if it's relevant, but but just question if it's relevant. Do you need it? If not, then don't put it as a requirement. Yeah, 100%. Um, awesome. Well, we're coming up on time. This was great. This is like an awesome deep dive into this. And it was a really good view of sort of from the recruiter perspective. But I feel like, feel like we gave some good nuggets for advice. Um, anything you want to cover that we didn't get to? I don't think so. No, like it's just been a good chat, hasn't it? Like you said, I hope there's been some, um, you know, some value for people in there, especially you know, the job seekers that you might have listening to this, I think it's, you know, it's extremely difficult for job seekers, isn't it? So there's a lot of noise out there on LinkedIn. So I think podcasts like this are tremendously valuable when it comes to, you know, speaking to people that maybe can just share a bit of insight to how recruiters work and, and how things, uh, you know, really are, because sometimes you don't know what to believe when you read things on, on LinkedIn. So um, yeah, you know, very valuable. The coolest takeaway for me is that it's just not that different. Like there is nuance but I would say it's like 90% the same, you know, like country aside, it's like the process is, I say it's like, it's like gravity. It works the same everywhere, you know, <laughs> and you got to like make a, you got to apply, then you got, you, know, you got to get found, you got to interview, then you negotiate. You know, it's, you know, some places they like pictures on resumes, some places they don't, some places they like the date in this format and some places they don't, but it's pretty similar. 
And just put it this way, if 90% of recruiters are saying something, then you're probably best to listen to it if it's to do recruitment. I mean, don't listen to a recruiter when it comes to your personal finances or something. But um, when it comes to recruiter, you know, recruitment and you want to know how recruitment works, then I recommend you listen to recruiters. They're the ones doing the work. Well, Russell, this was awesome. You also share a ton of really helpful uh, resources, guidance. You've got all sorts of cool templates. What's the best way for folks to follow along with all that great stuff? Yeah, if you can come and find me on LinkedIn. Um, my handle is Russell the Recruiter. So uh, yeah, just type in Russell Ailes, A-Y-L-E-S on LinkedIn and you'll probably find me. I think there's just one other person who's based in the UK who's a lot older than me and I think works in finance. So it's, it's not the most common. <laughs> there you go. So it's not awesome. the most common name. You'll, you'll see me. I'll be, I'll be wearing a hat. And it's not because I'm bald. That, uh, it's just because I like to wear hats. I'm not hiding anything. Okay, That's not I'm, fair. You should, I'm, I'm bald uh, for anyone who can't see the video. I'm a little bit bald. It's just... Uh... <laughs> well, this is awesome, Russell. Thank you so much. We'll link to the uh, to your LinkedIn in the description. I highly recommend you follow Russell. Really helpful content. An amazing advocate for job seekers and tons of tons of good resources. So that's how we connected. And I'm so glad we did. Thank you for joining the show. Cheers, David. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We wanna give people that inside view to what it looks like like to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. And if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one.